Well, he's the newest football coach in the city county, and you'll hear from him today. Welcome in. Today is Tuesday, July 16th, and this is another edition of the Rocktown Sports Pod by the Daily News Record. I'm Greg Medea, JMU football beat writer at The Paper and host of the podcast. Join alongside sports editor Jim Sacco. And today we'll jump right in because we have the first of the area football coaches in for a conversation as we welcome Broadway's Danny Grog. Danny, how you doing? What's going on? I'm good, man. It's a busy time right now. Thank you guys for having me. Um, I'm excited to be here. Excited to talk about the new season and ready to get going. I was going to say, let's just let's just kind of start with this. How's everything been going at Broadway since you took the job in February, since you were announced as the new coach? Uh, what's kind of been going on in the last five, six months is you guys are gearing up toward, toward training camp next month. It's been busy, busy, busy. Um, as soon as I got the job, we hopped right in to try to get a staff going. Um, once we got a staff figured out, which the staff was pretty secure pretty quickly, um, and I'm very happy with the staff that I got. Um, a lot of confidence in those guys. Some guys that's even on the JV program are coming back that had been at Broadway in the past. Um, and some of the coaches that are on my varsity staff now got coached by those guys. So there's a lot of confidence there in our staff. Um, some new guys, some that are coming back from last year. I'm super excited about them. Um, then it, it's just been working out, um, getting the playbooks down in the spare time. Kids are working out right now, working very, very hard. Um, and just been a busy time trying to get everything situated, trying to make it my own, and um, excited where we're at right now, excited to get going, um, and I'm ready to go. One, one of the things we noticed, Danny, and we've kind of had fun with it on Twitter, uh, is just how the social media presence of, of Broadway football is really kind of setting a, a bar, uh, a new bar in the city county. It's, uh, there, there's been hype videos. I know one of your assistant coaches, Aaron Reed, I believe, is doing a lot of the graphic work. Yeah. Uh, and a lot of this this graphical work that you guys are putting out there. And it just seems it seems like a lot of I mean, is that helping build the excitement? Is that a little bit of, you know, you know, hyping the, the players as well and hyping the, you know, the JV players that want to play virus? I mean, what is what's the, the impetus behind all that? I mean, I think it creates a lot of enthusiasm and energy. Um, I, one of the things I talked about in my interview um, when I was when I applied for this job was was one of the biggest things was relationships. But other than that was just to create a different type of energy. Um, and I know when I talked to Cody earlier after the hire, I said that the energy that I would bring would be blown away for the kids. I mean, I would I'd create energy for them. Um, we had our first day of mini camp last night and the energy was there. But I think in the day's time that we're at right now with social media is huge. I mean, let's be honest, in college football, social media gear and um, – facilities that's what gets kids um, and I think that that's a big spot to start um, emails are starting I think to float away and it's going to be more social media that's how we communicate with parents that's how we communicate with players um, and to have coach Reed on staff to be one of those graphic guys to help me with this type of stuff um, it's amazing so basically what we do is I kind of run the Twitter um, coach Reed kind of runs the Facebook page um, and then we just actually created an Instagram so now we're taking it to another level um, just trying to reach all parts of it, um, not just to do it, but just to reach out to kids and have other people around here get excited about it too. Um, but it's been good. It's been very good. I think it's created some excitement for the kids. The kids with that reveal video were so happy for it to get there. I mean, they were like, when's it going to be out? When's it going to be out? And we're like, just keep being patient. Um, but actually, Taylor, 
Um, McNellis, who played at JMU um, as a wide receiver, he's our wide receiver coach. Um, he does videography and on the side for weddings. Um, and he stepped in and was willing to do that for us, and he did a great job with it. I, I was going to say, I know just from covering college football, like you said, that in recruiting, the social media is used by, by coaches, by the teams themselves, by universities, and it, it's all an effort to drive players toward toward their program. At, for you guys at Broadway, do you think you'll see an increase in numbers with the football program because of it? Do you think that's that's a possibility because, you know, kids are saying, oh, you know, that's pretty cool. I want to be part of Broadway football. Do you think kids in town are seeing it and recognizing that? I think so. Um, one of the biggest things that I've talked about um, is that when a new coach comes in, sometimes either the trust is going to be built or sometimes the, your, the, some of the kids and parents even – community members are just unsure. Um, so one of the biggest things that I've had to work on um, over the past few months is just to get kids and parents and community members to buy them to what I'm trying to do. Um, and I think that's part of this process and showing them that this is going to be the new part of Broadway football. We're going to create this type of energy. We want to create this type of enthusiasm. And we're hoping that that's the outcome. We're hoping that kids see that and want to be a part of it. Um, and I'll be honest with you, with the kids that you might see on roster this year, I think that some of that started to happen. Um, I know that we posted a video the other day that this is the first time in a, a few years that we've had three kids, one girl, um, and two boys from the soccer team that are going to be kicking for us. Now, Savannah, the girl, she's been there. She was on the JV team the past two years. Um, but the other two um, were players on the soccer team this year that I talked with um, Coach Timbrell, who's now at TA, and hooked up with him and just told him, hey, I put the bird in his ear and just said, hey, you think you can find me a kicker? And luckily, two of them decided to come out, and I think they're going to be special for us. But just that type of stuff, um, I think, gets kids excited, and I think it's paying off for us. That, that's big right there, the, the soccer kicker thing, because it, it just wanna, that's one thing that's always drew me just absolutely bonkers <laughs> about high school football is like, you can't find one person that you're just say, hey, you're going to kick the ball and that's all you're going to do because it seems like place kickers in high school football are nowhere near a dime a dozen. They're like $100 for one, and it's tough to get. And, I mean, that that's just a huge get, I think, if you got some soccer interest to join Savannah, uh, who's on the JV team, they kind of all kind of push each other. And, and I saw some of the videos you're putting on there, and all three of those kids had legs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's impressive. Um, yesterday at, practice, or at our mini camp, we – we talked to the kids after practice, and I was like, I, and the kids came back down. We got our team together, and I said, hey, nice of you to join us, Lucas, Muhammad, and uh, Savannah. And they were like, where were they at? And I said, they were kicking. I said, you guys didn't see them. I said, I sent them up to the football field to kick. And I said, that's how it's going to be. I said, I'm not asking those kids to come out here and be a wide receiver or a slot. Like, I want you to kick. Like, when the pressure's on, that's your job. I don't want a wide receiver to come in that's been playing the whole game or gets banged up in practice to kick. Like I want a kicker to come in in those pressured situations and be worried about that and learn how to kick. And I think that's going to be a bonus for us this year. I mean, uh, they've been impressive. Um, I know Lucas told us yesterday that, and granted, there's nobody up there with him. Nobody's rushing. Things are different. But he had a 50-yard field goal yesterday off the upright. So um, it's impressive. So we're excited about it. What I was excited about was the April Fool's Day uh, uniform <laughs> reveal. I thought the the hand turkey uh, helmet was was fantastic. Uh, 
are you seeing, are you, we talked about the excitement with the kids, maybe seeing more numbers, more kids want to get involved in the program. You know, you live in the community. Are you hearing more excitement in the community with the this push on social media and, you know, the new swag. Yeah, the new swag. And, and even, even, you know, the new coach. I think, you know, no matter how successful your program is or unsuccessful your program has been, you know, it doesn't matter. A new coach is a new coach. It's something new. It's a new car. It's still, it's smell, it's got that nice smell to yeah. it. It's something different. Uh, I mean, have you, you know, when you're at Walmart or you're at Rite Aid, are you, are you hearing any of these, this buzz? Are people coming up to you and saying, hey, Danny, hey, man, we're, we're pretty stoked about, I mean, what are you hearing out there? Not much. Um, I mean, I do get it every now and then when I go to Walmart, but I think that, I mean, I've only been in the Broadway community for, I guess this is going to be going on six years now, um, but like, I don't think I've been there long enough. Broadway's one of those communities that when you're there, you're there for a long time. Um, and I think that, to be honest with you, I mean, my name might be out there, but I don't think a lot of people might not recognize me yet. Um, but I'm fine with that. I get to hear it from my coaches, which gets me excited. And I know a lot of my coaches um, come up to me, um, ADs, people at football games, people at baseball games, the people that I know um, talk about it, just say, hey, man, you, you just got to realize the excitement right now. Um, and I, that just gets me excited. And it, I don't take it as pressure right now. I mean, I know a lot of people tell me I'm in the honeymoon period right now where you don't have to hear from parents. You don't have to hear from players, playing time, none of that. And it's a good period. But um, I'm not really worried about that right now. I mean, I, I'm just, I, I want to just keep building the excitement. And I think that um, the relationships that I create with these kids and these players um, and what we have them doing in the community, I think that's going to speak for itself. Yeah, I think I think two people start talking once once you start winning some games, right? Once you yeah. start winning one, game one, always, game two, always. Uh, winning helps everything. Uh, you you kind of mentioned, obviously, we've talked about how you put your touch on the program from a energy standpoint, kind of boosting the numbers standpoint. In terms of on the field, what are you guys going to look like offensively, defensively? Are you sticking with a lot of the same schemes that were there in the past as you were an assistant under Brad Lutz? Uh, or are you going to do some different things offensively, defensively? How do you kind of assess that? Um, without speaking too much about what we're going to do offensively, um, we're going to do a lot of different things, um, but we're going to be really good at doing those things. So with that being said, um, a lot of different plays, uh, or not that many plays in a lot of different formations. Um, so we're excited about that. I think Coach Reed, um, who was our JV head coach last year and offense coordinator for them, promoted him to offense coordinator along with um, Max Horaski. Uh, who's been our quarterback coach there, who is a great football mind. Um, his dad is a head coach, um, and he has a very, very mindful game, uh, mindful game for the passing game, and I think he's going to do a great job. Um, and then defensively, I'm sticking with the 3-4. Um, I think it's been good to us um, with some of the kids that we have coming back on defense. Um, Brent Hulse, um, who is just a man amongst boys. Um, and he's going to create some hype, I think, if he stays healthy, and which I think he does because he works so hard in the weight room. Um, Nate Tunnell, who is just another mismatch. Um, we're getting Timmy Lapp back on defense, um, who was out the first game with a concussion, a, a severe concussion last year. Um, we got a lot returning defensively, but we have a lot to prove offensively. But some of the names that are coming back and that will be there on that field this year, I think we're going to open some eyes a little bit. 
uh, let's talk about Friday, October 18th, 2019. It's kind of like, sure, you've been, you've been on staff about, for what, four years now? Uh, you were on staff? Yes. Four previous yeah, years? Yeah. But with the big help, with the big earphones on, uh, headphones on, you go back to where you played high school football, Harrisonburg. Is it going to be a little different as a head coach going back there? I don't think so. Um, it's always exciting going back there. I think that, um, I know that, I, I was, I'm at the PE Institute all week this week, and I actually got to talk with um, Scott Joyner, who was at Harrisonburg, and we started talking a little bit, and he said that he was talking with somebody at Harrisonburg and a lot of the people over there, and one of them was the old football coach's uh, wife, who was still teaching over there, and she said that they were, everyone was very, very excited for me. Um, I tell my kids all the time that I bleed green, uh, but you never forget where you came from, and that's always going to be a special place for me. But my kids will tell you that in that locker room before that game, it's a little different energy from me because I feel like I got something to prove, even though it is against my alma mater. But uh, it's always an exciting time to play them just because I wore that same jersey. Um, and I can share some stories about that with our kids. And I think that's special because it's high school football and you'll never forget something like that. Yeah, clearly Harrisonburg shaped you. But what about your time at Mike Clark, too, over at Bridgewater? What, what, what did you learn playing from him? And, and obviously he's done it for so long, over you know more than two decades as a head coach at the college level. What did you learn from him? He was a great coach. Um, I know recruiting-wise, um, a lot of people will say he's a lot different from others. He doesn't come in and put pressure on you. He's very, very realistic. Um, when he comes in to recruit you, he'll tell you straight up what he thinks. Um, and he could be wrong. But he'll, and he'll tell you that. But he, he'll tell you right now what he thinks. He's not going to blow smoke. Um, he'll just tell you straight up, like, hey, I think that you could be a player by your junior year, or I think you could play early on. Um, but he, he's done a good job. And a lot of the things that I learned from him was he, he was a very patient coach, um, and he let his coaches, his assistant coaches coach. Um, you didn't see him a whole lot. Well, you saw him the whole practice, but you didn't hear from him. Um, but when you did hear from him, you listened. Um, and I think that was very special because he was very, very knowledgeable. He was a very, very smart coach. Um, I told him he gave me a lot of congratulations when I got this job and even came to Broadway just to shake my hand and talk a little bit. Um, that just speaks for himself a little bit about the type of uh, man he is. And a lot of credit goes to him. But in my time at Bridgewater, too, I realized that and this is another thing that I said in my interview um, – D3 football is a little bit different, and it can be like any other college football, but I had four different defensive line coaches in four years at Bridgewater. Um, it was just every year uh, we had a different coach, and it was just something where – and defensive line is defensive line, but different people teach it different ways. And I think that made me better as a player, but I think it also made me better as a coach because well, in your playing years, you pick up on things that you want to do in your mind as a coach, and I think you learn over all those people over – all the years. Like I still think about, I've been in contact with some of my former coaches from Harrisonburg this week. Um, I've been in contact with some of my college coaches. I've been in contact with a lot of people just trying to get feels for it. I mean, Donnie Coleman, he's been tremendous for me. He's been a mentor for me. Um, he's one of those people that I can go to. Um, Dale Shifflett reached out to me as well from Spotswood. Um, I think that's going to be another thing that is beneficial. Uh, I think a lot of people around here think that it's just hard knock rivalries all the time in the Valley. but And it might be that way with the kids because you know how kids think. But to be honest with you, us as coaches, uh, we're all fighting the same battles. 
Um, and if it's not the same week that we're playing each other, we got to work together. And I think that the coaches that are around here, I think, are starting to do that. And I think that's going to make this Valley a lot more powerful. And I think you're going to see that this year. Talk, let's expand on that a little bit. I mean, being your first head coaching job, I mean, how is that interaction with the other head coaches? I know you mentioned Dale and you mentioned Donnie, uh, Dale at Spotswood, Donnie at East Rock. But are you just, do you feel that difference already, like, you know, being part of the fraternity, if you will, that, you know, you're now a head coach and maybe a little more is said? I mean, how does that work for us people who've never been a head coach? Um, I think you get a lot more warnings um, <laughs> as a head coach than a lot more advice. I mean, I guess the advice and warnings kind of go hand in hand because they, they're, they're still teaching moments for you. But um, a lot of the coaches that I've talked to, uh, it's a lot of just make sure you do this or watch out for this or just things that they've been through um, and that they want to help me with. And uh, it is something new for me, but there's a reason that I applied for this job. I thought I was ready for it. I knew that um, there was a select few guys that I knew would have my back in this um, at Broadway and would join my staff. And I think that that's been beneficial for me, but I'm excited. I, I, I like the coaches around this area. I think that in this Valley and I, and I don't know much about other areas cause I don't, research it like that. I know coaches from other areas, but I think there's some very, very good coaches in this area, in the Valley. I mean, you look at um, a lot of the staffs. I mean, a lot of these guys were very good college players. I mean, you look at, and one one that always stands out to everybody is Gillenwater at East Rock. I mean, the guy was at JMU. Um, so, I mean, that's, that's crazy. That's a great coach to have on your side, but um, you just look at things like that. But it's going to be a powerful valley this year, I think, and I think it's going to be a lot of competition, but it's exciting. Yeah, I was going to ask you about the league. What do you kind of think about the district? Is as you you know you're going to see your normal familiar rivals in TA, Harrisonburg, obviously Rockbridge, Spotswood, Waynesboro. What do you kind of think of the district this year? Is uh, you know you got Spotswood coming back is, is probably the premier team in the league most people would think. But what do you think of the league? I think it, I think um, Spotswood's going to be up there. Um, they were impressive to me last year um, as a coach. Um, Dale and his staff did a fantastic job last year, and I think the biggest thing that stuck out to me was their defense. Um, and when I got to step back and watch their defense play a little bit last year and watch them on film, I mean, they got after it. Um, and they're going to have some kids coming back on that side of the ball, um, which is – that's fine. I mean, we just got to learn how to deal with it. We got to learn how to um, do some things differently, but um, – they're impressive, uh, and it's going to be a tall task, but I know our kids are going to be up for it. It's a fresh start. We're going to be ready for it. Um, T.A. is going to have Swan Hart back. Um, that kid is very impressive to me. I think he's a hard-nosed kid. The kid ball, runs the ball hard as all get out. Um, he sticks out to me on film. Jesse Knight, I mean, he's a national <laughs> champion, is it? Yeah, uh, wrestling. Yeah, yeah. unreal State national uh, champ. <laughs> We talked to our kids about him last year, uh, even though that's that's one that's our rivalry game. But um, I think they're going to be better. Uh, it's going to be – Frazier's got another step in there that I think that he's going to learn from what happened last year and get better. Um, Waynesboro's got a uh, second year under their head coach. Um, this is going to be his second year, and I know that um, the JV team got eliminated there, but I think that could possibly help their varsity team a little bit. Um, Harrisonburg is going to be Harrisonburg. They always have athletes. Um, Quentin Smiley at quarterback, um, he was very impressive. I think that they were they were a good team last year, but I think Quentin 
this Motley kid kind of single-handedly beat us last year. I mean, he's a kid that's a difference maker, and he can change games. Um, who else are we looking at? I guess kind of got Fort, Fort's out of the out of the Fort's, Fort's out of, but it, you guys so. still play him, right? You guys, yeah, we, you guys, we're still going to play him, but they're out of the district. Um, and they're always tough. Right. Fort's always tough. And then you look at um, out of district. Uh, I think that we have a a good out of district schedule this year. I think we start we start off with Slovena at home, who had a very impressive season to me last year. And after watching them on film for the past couple months, man, their quarterback's impressive. Um, and he he's going to be very good. I, I actually met with um, Coach Morris down at Fluvanna because I'm a baseball coach at Broadway too. He came over to the baseball game and introduced himself, and we got to know each other a little bit. So I'm excited about that one to have the first game of my head coaching career at home. Um, I think that's very beneficial on my part. Are you um, as excited about this Buffalo Gap game as Cody and I are? <laughs> yeah, I'm excited about all of them. To be honest with you, it's it's yeah. every game is going to have a different uh, meaning to it, but. I didn't realize how long it's been since Broadway played Buffalo Gap. If if any time they played them, it's um, been it's that, been a long. I mean, I don't know if they've ever. I mean, they haven't. I've been in the Valley in and out since '99, and I don't think they've ever. It, since I've been around, I don't think they ever played. Well, that's when I reached out to our ID, Ryan Ritter. I said, "Hey, I got some people asking me right now. Do you know when the last time we played Gap? If if we ever have?" And he goes, "I don't recall any." So I said, "I know it's going to be because Ryan usually can." reset some data there and find some stuff. But he was just like, I don't recall any, and I don't think I can find any. So I was like, it has to be a long time. So I think that's going to be pretty cool. I, I know there's another first-year head coach there. Um, I'm excited to meet him. Um, I'm excited to meet a lot of these coaches. I know Coach Frazier over at TA, he's one of the coaches I've yet to shake his hand. So I'm excited to do that with coaches. Um, but Central, Central's another one that we've been playing in our benefit game for the past few years that's going to be back on our schedule. Um Coach Yo does a great job over there. He's a great coach. Uh, they, they're a playoff team every single year. You um, could—I don't know if it's scientifically scientifically proven or not—but they say you can actually hear Coach Yo from the moon. I guarantee. You could recognize, you. and you could recognize that—that's his voice when you hear it as well. You know it's him when you hear him. <laughs> that's for sure. And then I guess what's the next one is Skyline. Skyline. I, mean, I think that kind of wraps everything up there. But Skyline's a, a team that they're usually a playoff team every year. Um, we lost a tough one to them in a. A very weird game last year. We had to come back on a Saturday and play them. And it was just, I mean, it was a weird circumstance. But I'm excited to get there this year. And I'm excited for all of them, man. There's no one game that really sticks out. Is is the identity of a team, of this Broadway team, built on players? Or are you trying to build an identity? I mean, how does that work as a head coach? I mean, I mean if you got big, burly guys – it's, it's quite obvious your identity has to be a big, burly football team, right? You have to ground and pound. You're looking at, you know, four or five yards, the cloud of dust. Mm-hmm. You're looking at, you know, in-the-trench battles. Is that sim- – are we going to see that with this Broadway team? Because you guys had a huge offensive line. Yeah, we're going to be big again up front, I, I believe. But I think we're just – we're a little bit more spaced out all over the place. Um, I think we got big kids where we need them, and we got – Skill kids where we need them. So, I, and I think that's a that's a complete football team. And sometimes you have to work at that. But uh, I don't think that it's going to be one of those football teams that it's just like, hey, Broadway's just going to. That's all they can do is run it, um, or that's all they can do is throw it. I think that we're going to be uh, very different in what we do, and we're going to be very balanced. Um, we're going to take what teams give us, and that's going to be the biggest thing for us. Are, are you looking? I guess 
schematically to kind of adapt to what your personnel is from week to week, kind of kind of play to the strengths of your personnel? Is that what you're looking to do as a coach? A little bit, but I think we are very deep this year at positions. Um, we were, I know Coach Tanell and I stayed back last night after minicamp and talked about coverage a little bit. Um, but we're going to have a lot of problems at certain positions where we have to make a decision, and those are good problems to have. Um, I'm excited about that. I think that I think that's what numbers gives you sometimes, and I know numbers isn't everything, but I think numbers definitely help. It gives you competition at least. It gives you competition, and it gives you yeah. some breaks in practice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and it allows uh, for some kids when you get up in a game for those kids that don't get a lot of experience to play. Yeah. And it keeps guys healthy. Yeah, it exactly. Keeps, it keeps guys healthy. As far as personnel goes, we talked a little about your defense earlier. Offensively. Uh, who are you looking at as guys you can rely on? What are you doing at quarterback? Kind of run me through the offensive personnel. Well, I know that there was an article out about Caleb Williams not too long ago, and that built a little bit of excitement. But like we said in the article, we're just unsure right now about that. Um, we're going to take we're going to take our time on it. We're going to let Caleb heal. Um, he wants that type of job, and we're going to let him compete for it. Uh, he came out and threw last night at minicamp. I mean, he can throw. Um, we're just taking our time and we're going to listen to the doctors on that and we're going to listen to our trainer and we're going to make sure everything's right. Um, but Caleb has a, I think he could have a good year there, but he's also got some competition there with, with our, our young one Hoover. Uh, he's a, he was the JV starting quarterback last year. He's made a lot of strides, um, this off season. He was our quarterback in the seven on seven over at East Rock. Um, he's going to be competing for it and, we have two other kids that might have a little interest in it. One's David Thu that's always been our backup. He's not going to play there much, but he could he could do it if we needed him. Um, and then Brady Smith has shown a little bit of interest in it, but he is also one of our returning starting linebackers. So um, <laughs> we've had a talk with him about that, but if a kid wants to play there, I'm not going to eliminate that. And we'll, we'll, we'll give all, anybody that wants it a shot, and whoever gets it earns it. So that's the quarterback position. Um, excited about Christian Morgan. Um, at running back, uh, I think he was very, very impressive his sophomore year. Um, decided had, had a few issues kind of go on um, last year where he decided to step away. Um, decided he wanted to come back um, because he didn't think that was the right thing for him and his teammates. He wanted to help his teammates win. Um, and didn't probably get the playing time that he wanted. Uh, and... I'm excited about that. He's kind of off the radar, which I remember, is good. I remember I, I covered a game you guys played against Western Albemarle a couple – I think his sophomore year. He he played really well in that game. I, I don't know if you remember, but I remember him running up and down the field. and he had over 80 yards rushing in that one. He's a good-looking kid, and he, he's not so much uh, a lateral kid, and he's going to be horizontal, um, which he's always been that way. Uh, I know over in there in the 7-on-7 seven seven at East Rock, I know a few of the coaches came up and shook his hand and said, you're a good-looking kid. Um, so that's always good to hear as a coach. I mean, I think a few of them, uh, even Donnie even said, we need to get you over here. But, I mean, but that's a, that's, that's respect. I mean, he's a good-looking kid. I think he's going to do some good things. We're excited about him this year. Um, that position is also going to be deep. we got some uh, rising sophomores that were played on the JV team. we got some kids coming back out that played um, JV as a freshman that hadn't played in a while that are coming back out. Um, and then wide receiver, we're going to be deaf. We got a lot of depth. Um, Nate Tunnell, he's going to be out there. Nate Tunnell is a kid that's hard to take off the football field. And he's and he's a mismatch on both sides of the ball. I think he's a, he's a basketball kid that you can throw it up and make him go get it. He's got very good hands, good ball skills. 
Um, Landon Stuhlmiller, who played a lot of defense for us um, last year, is probably going to get a lot more reps at slot. Um, David Thu is another kid that's going to probably play a lot of snaps on both sides of the football. He's one of our leaders. He's done, He's been in everything. Um, he's going to be hard to take off the field. And our offensive line is um, – Coach Reed is excited about that. I uh, don't want to go too much in depth with that because um, I kind of like to keep some surprises they out keep there. Some secrets, right? yeah, I, keep I, some secrets, right? You know, you don't want you don't want Thurman and all yeah. these guys listening to the podcast well, tonight. Hey, <laughs> they're going to hear some names that they've seen before. That, that's what I want them to see. So whatever names they hear, they've probably heard before. So we got to keep some secrets. But as football knows, when, as soon as that first game comes out, your secrets are gone. Uh, maybe a few plays here and there, but your personnel is on the field. So they're going to see that. Um, we're excited about our personnel. I think we're very, very excited about our offense, excited about our defense. Uh, it was kind of nice last night when we went to alignment period on defense just to look back as we were talking about the group that was on the field just to see how many kids were standing behind them, just listening and learning and seeing, man, we got some depth. And the crazy thing is when you turned around and looked at them, it's like, that kid can play right now. That kid can play. So you kind of turn around and say, hey, that kid can play. So you got to make sure you're doing what you need to do. So it's exciting. What, what did you see last year? Uh, you know, it was a rough season for you guys last year, but down the stretch, I think you won three of your last four. What did you see differently from in, in, in that second half that maybe you weren't seeing in the first half? I think that we just started playing playing our game a little bit better. Um, our kids just started buying in a little bit more. Uh, the system got a little bit easier. Uh, I think definitely offensively last year, we kind of figured out what our identity was a little bit. It was tough for us to run the football a little bit last year. And instead of just keeping to the gas pedal and trying to do that, we relied on Nick Lohr a little bit. And um, I know Nick Lohr wasn't on a lot of people's radars last year, but I think he popped up a little bit. Um, he had a great year, and we started airing it out a little bit. So I think that gives a lot of people – this year, some question marks on what we might do because I think that proved a little bit where Broadway's been that ground and pound offense forever. Um, and then we turn around and air it out a little bit. Um, so we're going to try to find that identity, and I think that we're just going to try to build off those last few games and build off the excitement. And we're going to, I told Greg walking in, I'm not going to focus on anything from last year. Um, I don't want to talk about last year. Um, I want to focus on what we have going right now. I want the kids to be excited. Uh, and I, I got in the truck to go back up to the school last night from the practice field, and um, one of our alumni came down to help out, and he was just like, man, he goes, it's just different. He goes, there's a different type of excitement. And I'm like, what do you mean? I was like, it's football season. It's always exciting. And I just want the kids to make – I think it's awesome that the kids are just feeling that right now, and we're just excited to get going. Well, I, I think we'll get you out on this. What's kind of the plan going forward? Mini camp, and then when do you guys start training camp? When do you guys who do you guys scrimmage? What's kind of the plan uh, before you get to that uh, August thirtieth opener against Fluvanna County? So we got mini camp finishing up this week. Um, we're going Monday through Thursday um, this week. Kind of a long week. Kids are working out in the mornings, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Those days we're trying to keep it short, um, but we want to keep those kids lifting just to make sure and running to make sure they're going to be in shape for camp. Um, after that is, they get a little bit of a break. Next week, we got our spring player parent meeting. So that's always a big thing to get done, making sure your physicals, registrations, all that stuff's done. That's the stuff as a coach that's hidden. Um, so that stuff's in there. And then um, August 5th, we're going to start August 5th. 
Um, I know the official date that you can start is August 1st. We decided that the identity of the football team that we're trying to create, let's give these kids uh, a little bit longer for summer. Uh, and starting on August 5th, I mean, it, it lets you just go have a straight stretch. And it's a haul when you get started. Um, so I think giving the kids a few extra days is not a bad idea. Um, so we're going to get going on August 5th. Um, there's no Shrine Month this year. So uh, I know that's been a, a big question from a lot of people in the community. Um, but we're not going to be at Shrine Mount. We're going to do things right there at Broadway. We're going to get used to being at Broadway. We're going to get used to playing there. Um, and we're going to have three days of camp camp where kids are there all day, and then it's going to transition into um, some regular practice for us from there. Um, I think we're still planning on doing our Midnight Madness this year um, on the Saturday, and that's, that's always a big thing for the community. And I know um, Coach Lutz did a good job of building some of that stuff. Um, and I think that there's a few things that you don't want to just completely take away. Uh, I think that's something good that he created. I think he gets the credit for that. And But the community loves it. And you can't get rid of something the community loves. And I know the Soldier Tribute game was another big question. Um, that thing's going to come up, and there's no way we could ever get rid of it. I mean, it's a Broadway community thing. And then um, East Rock is on our schedule again, which is awesome because Donnie has been that mentor for me. Um, but it's always a good scrimmage against them. Um, I know a lot of people are talking about East Rock being down because of what they lost. And I know they lost a lot. But I'm going to tell you right now as a coach, they're going to impress some people this year. Um, just because of their coaching staff and watching them play in that 7-on-7. Seven seven, they have kids that just want to get after it. Um, and I think that they're going to do a great job this year. We always love to scrimmage them. Um, I think that they're a lot a lot like us and the kids that they have, and it's always a good competition, and they have a lot of good kids over there. Um, and then we get into Warren County with our benefit game, which is um, I've met their coach a couple times. He's a younger coach, too, that just got the job not too long ago. Um, he's done, he's done a, a lot of good things with their program, and it's just exciting a little bit for that benefit game to go play somebody that we're not used to. Um, and it's one of those games you get used to the game game environment but it doesn't count against your wins and loss record. So it's, that's, we'll always a, that's always a plus, so we'll take that. Um, and then there's the opener. It's going to be here before we know it. I know I said something to Greg. It's, it's been a haul here, um, and it's a lot of stuff going out, ordering gear, coaches' gear, all of this, making sure physicals, registrations are done. But when August 5th gets here, it's going to get here quick. It's time to coach at that point. Yeah, exactly. It's not time it's, to coach. That's yeah. exactly what we're – and that's kind of what we want to get to. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, Danny, appreciate you taking time to come in, uh, talk gobbler football with us, and uh, really kind of shed some light on the Broadway program. So thanks for coming in, and best of luck this season. Thank you. Thank you both of you. So good to have Danny Grog on of, of Broadway, the Gobblers, 4-6 and six last year. Uh, but he sounds optimistic, Jim. Man, <laughs> that's some energy right there. I mean... I, I could definitely see, you know, how how he did well in an interview to get the job and, and certainly how he connects with kids. I can see that energy kind of being infectious with the kids for sure. Yeah, I'm looking for I, – I would like to be a fly on the wall in one of his pregame, the pre-Harrisonburg pep talk or maybe the halftime pep talk down 14 or down 7 or 3 or maybe up against Spotswood. Yeah, no, I, I, I could definitely see him lighting a little bit of a fire <laughs> under under some of the gobblers uh, for to get them going. But uh, so that's that's high school football, and he said they start August fifth. Uh, and as you know, we'll have plenty of coverage dnronline.com. Uh, you can follow Jim, follow Cody on Twitter. 
Uh, Cody on vacation, so that's why you didn't hear from Cody Yes. Uh, uh, with Danny Grog. But he'll be back next week, uh, and I'm sure we'll have another coach in here. Uh, make sure Cody confirms that before we reveal who it is. Yes, that's a good move. Good so, move. I was going to say it, and I was like, no, let's not say it just yet. Yeah, so we'll, we'll have another one next week, but uh, we'll have that name confirmed for you next week. Next week, though, at that time, I'll be at CA Media Day in Baltimore. Uh, it's, it's coming. Once you get to Charm Media City, Day. baby. Yeah, Baltimore, another year. Uh, the CA always does it at the Raven Stadium, M&T Bank Stadium in Baltimore. Uh, and, you know, when I always think of Media Day, really since I've been here, uh, you know, the Dukes have been the favorite to win the league. I think maybe in 2016 they were picked third behind Richmond and William and Mary. Uh, but other than that, you know, they've been the favorite. And I assume this year. That's uh, what I was going to ask you. I mean, would you, I mean, are they, do they, I mean, is it just a no-brainer? Do they come out of that as the favorite? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting, too, because Maine, you know, they went to the national semifinal last year, reached the national semifinal last year. But, you know, they've had coaching change, Joe Harris-Simiak. Uh, left Maine to be an assistant at Minnesota at the FBS level. Kind of interesting move. Yeah, that is an interesting uh, move. But, well, you know, Maine's always the lowest paid job in the CAA, so yeah. maybe that, that's a hint to, as to why uh, Harris Simiak left for, for Minnesota. Uh, I think, you know, JMU will certainly be the league favorite. And for my, for my conversations with CAA coaches earlier this summer, it was that JMU's loaded, the roster is really, really good, uh, they're really deep, and that, you know, Kurt Signetti, because he kind of aligns with a lot of the same things Mike preached, Mike Houston, that is, uh, that there really shouldn't be too much of a drop-off and that the expectation is, you know, JMU should be back atop the CAA this year. Uh, that, that's kind of the overall thought from, from people in the league, at least, that I've talked to. And it's, and it's and this is this, this media day is kind of old hat for Signetti as well because, I mean, if you look at the last two head coaches, Everett Withers, and Mike Houston, you know they where they were new to the CA media days in their first in the media day, excuse me, in their first year in the CA, and you know here comes Kurt Signetti, who is you know he's been in the bowels of Baltimore Ravens football stadium talking about his team. Yeah, and, and the only thing he's changing, I guess, the color tie. Uh, everybody <laughs> dresses up for media day, so the color tie will be different. He'll be wearing a purple tie probably, uh, but no, nah, I'm, I'm sure he'll be. Uh, you know, excited to talk about his football team. A little bit different setting than, you know, the post-practice interviews with Signetti or the, the quick phone interviews with Signetti when news is happening. Uh, so it'll be interesting to hear from him, especially uh, because, you know, when the poll always gets released, every coach always is asked about, you know, what do you think about being the, the first team picked or the last team picked? Uh, so it'll be interesting to hear his response. Jamie sending Mac Patrick to center and Rashad Robinson the corner as well. Uh, so I think some other interesting names there, Davis Cheek, the Elon quarterback, uh, you know, obviously had that late touchdown last year to beat JMU. Uh, so that, that'll be interesting to hear from him. Uh, so plenty of, plenty of names, I'm sure, uh, that I'll catch up with and, uh, and, and talk to uh, next week at CA Media Day. Who do you think, I mean, if, if you think JMU's coming out as, as, in first, who do you think is going to pick for last? Odd question, but I'm just curious. I mean, who, if JMU is the, the cream of the crop in the CAA coming into the season, who's the bottom of the barrel? I would probably say Albany. Uh, they've, they've struggled the past couple of years under Greg Gattuso, still there as the head coach. I think Albany's down near the bottom. I think Richmond's down near the bottom. They, they really need to turn things around. I think Richmond and, and Coach Russ Usman, uh, I know he said to me earlier this summer, you know, we need to make the playoffs at some point. You know, we need, we need to get it going back in the right direction uh, because they've really struggled to get it going right since since Danny Rocco left and Houston came in. Uh, he brought in a couple of transfers, including quarterback Bo English from Air Force. I don't know if that makes a difference. 
Uh, Charlie Fessler, a wide receiver from Northwestern. Uh, a couple of transfers from Duke also to Richmond. Uh, but I don't, I don't think many people think too highly of Richmond at this point uh, because Houston hasn't really won anything. Uh, and then I think William & Mary, the other in-state team, uh, is kind of an interesting one just because Mike London's there now. Jimmy Laycock is, is no longer there after uh, the many, many years he spent as the longtime coach of William & Mary. Uh, so it'll, it'll be interesting to see how, the, how, how everybody kind of perceives William & Mary at this point. Uh, considering London is yet to coach a game, but has a really good reputation in the state from winning a national title at Richmond uh, and, and being the head coach at UVA. Yeah, I, I, you, you, I've been following your series where you're kind of looking at the the you know different position groups, right. uh, and you got safeties will be in uh, Wednesday's paper. What I mean, going into the CA Media Day, if there's one position group you're going to be wanting to talk that people are going to be talking about at James coming from James Madison, what position group is that going to be? Aside from the obvious, let's take quarterback out of the equation. Let's say we get a, we're not going to talk about quarterbacks, but of all the other position groups, you know, what is going to be the quote-unquote talk of the CAA when it comes to JMU? They, they really should be talking about the offensive line. I mean, I, I didn't realize it until I was doing all the research last week on the O-line. They return 86 career starts up front between – I mean, that's that's an absurd number. More than double the amount of starts they, they brought back from the the year they won the national title. Wow. I mean, that's that's pretty unheard of to think of that many career starts in college football coming back on an offensive line. And that's between Liam Fornado, who probably going to be an All-American candidate this year. Uh, of course, you look at Mac Patrick, the senior center, who's got more starts than anybody on the O-line. I think he's at 28. When they when they won the national title in 2016, Mitch Kirsch had the most starts coming back, and he only had 25. Uh, so that I, I think that kind of says a lot right there too. Uh, and then you look, uh, of course, at, at, at guard. You got Zaire Bethea back, who's who's been a good player for them. Uh, and then uh, you know that group, Ray Gillespie, kind of rounds out that group. Uh, I think that offensive line is is very capable. Uh, and, and probably going to be pretty good. So I think when you can lean on an offensive line, especially with Kurt Signetti, who wants to run the ball uh, over over and over again and lead the league in rushing, lead the country in rushing, uh, I think it's 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 probably the position to look at for JMU. And, and a first year, a new coach doesn't x out that experience. I mean, because it's it, it's all the same, right? I mean, it's all the same but different. You know, it, it's. I don't think so. In 2016, it, it, it didn't matter because Mike Houston was coming in. I know they had the same old line coach there in Jamal Powell, uh, so maybe that does alter some things. But I think because because Signetti has has similar identities, I know the plays aren't the same, and uh, you know the scheme maybe isn't exactly as is the same as what Donnie Kirkpatrick was doing. Uh, but new offensive coordinator Shane Montgomery, Damian Roblevsky, new old line coach. Uh, they, they want to fall in line with Signetti and, and make sure they, that team can run the football. Uh, so I, I don't think the coaching change will, will cross off experience there. And you're also talking about guys who have been through coaching changes before uh, in terms of the players. They, they know what to expect. They've had different O-line coaches. So I don't think adjusting will be a problem for them. Now, do you guys do you guys vote on the preseason stuff there? No, we don't. Done? We don't. That's the coaches. The coaches okay. put together the preseason poll. Uh, and the league does. I mean, we we don't vote on it. It's interesting because most most conferences, you know, you look across the, the country, whether FBS or FCS, and it's the media that puts together the preseason poll. Would you vote JMU number one going in? I would vote JMU number one going in. I kind of did it Give on a sheet. Top five. Of, I kind of did it on a sheet of paper the other day. I don't have it in front of me, so I don't know how exactly I did it. But I would say JMU's number one. Uh, I would probably put Maine. 
number two. Is that just a nod to what they a did last year? A nod to what year? they did last year. They also have some players back. Manny Patterson is one. The quarterback, Ferguson, is back. Uh, that's a good foundation there uh, for Maine. I think UNH is going to be better. Uh, New Hampshire is going to be a lot better this year. Well, actually, I put Towson number two. Let me let me swap that. Okay. JMU, Towson. I'm kind of remembering it now as I, as I, as, as I look back. I can see the gears moving. Yeah, they, they're turning a little bit. <laughs> JMU, Towson, Maine, UNH. I think UNH is going to be the best improved team in the league. Okay. Uh, I, I know, talking to my conversation with Sean McDonald, he was very upbeat about what they had coming back and felt like there was some, some unfinished business after last year's kind of disappointing season, though they beat JMU. Uh, an overall disappointing season for them last year. So I think UNH is going to be better. Maine's going to be good. Towson, electric on offense between uh, Tom Flacco, Shane Simpson, Shane Leatherberry, uh, some some really talent. They have their whole offense back, and that was the best offense in the league last year. Uh, and then I think you look at five, you go a couple different places. Uh, Elon is one of them, I would think. That was my next question. I think it would, you know, maybe what, you know, not being overlooked because we're not there at CA Media Day yet, but I mean, we're... Where's the talk with Signetti leaving Elon to come to JMU after the turnaround they had last year, well, in his two years with them? Yeah. You know, where where are people seeing that program going? Yeah, I think they're still in a good place. I, I know I know Tony Trisiani told me back in June that, that he thought, you know, they were still going in the right direction. They'd lost some pieces, and obviously coaching transition's tough, but they promoted from within. So a lot of the same principles and, and, and I guess, philosophies on football stayed the same. Uh, though they had some new assistant coaches come in since pretty much everybody followed Signetti to Harrisonburg. Uh, but I think they're going to be in a good place. And Davis Cheek, the quarterback, as I mentioned before, uh, he's back. And he's a fantastic quarterback. I mean, they they did a lot of good things because of him last year and the year before. Uh, and he really fit Signetti and what Signetti wanted to do. Uh, so I think as long as Cheek stays healthy, they're going to be fine on offense. And uh, they have some play- players to replace on defense, but I think they'll be all right in contention for the postseason. He missed the, what, the last four regular season yeah, games? Yeah, he got hurt the week after they beat JMU. Yeah, I mean, how much of an impact did that have on what that team, or was that team, I mean, going into the postseason, was that team a one-and-doneer, or, or maybe if no. Cheek's healthy, you don't, maybe they win a couple? Yeah, I think if, if Cheek was healthy, they win, and then the other running back, Malcolm Summers, uh, the, the running back, excuse me, their star running back, Malcolm Summers. If he doesn't get hurt, also that same. That's week. right. I forgot. I it was forgot. it was he a got, double. It was a yeah. double whammy. I think they they would have had a very deep postseason run if, if both of those the, both of those players stayed healthy. Uh, it, it almost cost them a spot in the postseason uh, because they they kind of sputtered out after beating JMU. But uh, still think that they're going to be very good as long as as long as Cheek is healthy this year. Should be interesting. Can we follow now. What will you be provide, providing for us? Oh, CA Media Day on the social media. Oh, uh, on Twitter. Here uh, comes. Here comes the plugs. I think I'll do some video interviews with some of the kids. I'll, or some of the players, I should say. Kids, I sound like an old man. Yeah, well, you are an old man, right? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but some, some of the players uh, with JMU also going to tape some podcast interviews. Have a. Special post-media day edition of the walkthrough. Oh, the walkthrough, yes. It's you know, walk, the on hiatus since the spring game, right. the walkthrough comes back. Exactly. have to do a shameless plug for the other podcast. Uh, and then, uh, you know, typical stories in the DNR. Uh, we'll probably have something on Cheek because uh, I think he's a player to watch. We'll do something on Towson. And then I think I'm going to do the annual survey 
of what's going what that was the, the fun, anonymous survey. That was a fun read last year. I'll admit that. Uh, that yes. was a really fun read. Players kind of let loose and just told the truth once they knew their name wasn't attached to it. So. And you see coaches doing the yeah, same? Yeah, coach, coaches did the same. Coaches were cool with it. They were like, all right, I can talk. <laughs> yeah. I was like, okay. So I think I'm going to do the same thing. It worked out last year. Uh, hopefully it turns out as as well this year. Some different questions to ask. So I have to figure out what exactly I want to ask, but uh, I think that'll be cool. Let me put you on the spot real quick, if you don't mind. Go ahead. Uh, outside of anyone in a James Madison football uniform, three players I got to watch outside quarterback positions as well. In the CAA. In the CAA. Okay, I think Shane Simpson at Towson is is awesome. Running back. Running back can punt return, kick return too. Uh, really just dynamic, and, and as much as the quarterback Flacco makes that offense goes, I think because Simpson has that threat of breaking a long one every time he touches the ball, defenses has to have to respect that. So that's that's what gives Flacco a little more room to operate, I think. So he's, he's one for sure. Uh, when you go, I, let's see, where do I want to go with this? I think Manny Patterson at Maine. Uh, defensive back, fantastic. Ooh, a defensive guy. Yeah, defensive yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. Uh, somebody's got to take the take the place. I guess of Jimmy Moreland is the league's most electric corner. It may be, it may be Rashad Robinson, his teammate, uh, his former teammate Jimmy's. Uh, but I think Manny Patterson definitely has a shot as well. And then uh, let's see, where do I want to go with this one? Um, hmm, it's tough. I've, I've got a couple in uh, mind here. Well, give me give me two more then. Give me the two you got in your mind. Uh, let's go with. Well, first of all, I think oh, he's a quarterback. Yeah. Well, who? Go ahead. We'll 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 we'll, we'll get rid of the, the the one rule here. Yeah. Is he a surprise quarterback? Is he a name that maybe is, is it cheap? Well, no. I think this this Bo English from Air Force at Richmond okay. could have could have an impact. I, I don't know if it'll be a massive impact, but I think you know you bring that pedigree of somebody who's who's been a star high school player from from the DMV area. Uh, was it played at Damatha? You know, Damatha, the big, the big football yes. program there, the behemoth uh, up the road. I think he's going to be a really, really outstanding player uh, for for Richmond in time. I don't know if it clicks right away with him and Houston, but I think it'll allow Houston to do some of the things he did at Chattanooga with the quarterback run game that was successful and helped Chattanooga uh, get to the postseason. So he's he's one to watch. Uh, and then uh, you know, there, there's just there, there's there's good players in the CAA, and I think. Uh, I think as for as many as JMU has, there are other good ones, uh, good ones in the league. Guts, your gutsy CA football coach of the year at season's end. Who's the gutsy pick? Sean McDonald. Okay. After last year's, after last year's kind of debacle, and the other player I wanted to mention is Pop Lacey, uh, okay. New Hampshire safety, downhill, explosive, kind of kept that defense together during a tough time last year. I think he's primed for a great for a great year. It's been a what three year starter already. I think he's primed for a great senior season. Two DBs, a QB, and an RB. I'll take it. Yeah, uh, so, no linemen. Sorry, because uh, <laughs> yeah. they all they all play for JMU. I think <laughs> the best linemen in the league. I'm, I'm sorry, Rondell Carter, John Daka, uh, two really good ones there that are going to be future NFL guys. I think West Virginia is when they open the season. Yeah, August 31st. It'll be here soon. I mean, not knowing you got a month. Of, of of summer camp, you know how how can you see that game going? Oh, I I I give Jamie definitely a good shot to go in there and win. I don't know if that'll happen, but I think they'll match up well with West Virginia. I know West Virginia and both and Jamie both have the coaching turnover they're dealing with, uh, but 
James Madison has all its players back, and those guys, those players have been through coaching changes before. Uh, some of them two, some of them one. Uh, West Virginia's going through a coaching change. They don't have anybody back that was really part of that core last year, Greer, Sills, Jennings, uh, that crew for the Mountaineers. But uh, so, so I give I give JMU a shot. They've been they've played in championships. They've beaten FBS teams before. I give JMU a shot. I mean, I don't know if in the end that the talent and the depth is too much for for West Virginia uh, to blow the game, but I give JMU a shot. You you covered the Nears for a while. Yeah. What, what kind of environment is that up there? It's it's pretty good. <laughs> it's, it's it's pretty good. It'll be it'll be loud most of the game. The fans show up early, drink early. <laughs> I, I can tell you. I gotta give you a story. Um, Please do. So I'm walking, I'm, I'm a freshman going to cover a game. I'm walking from my dorm, which, I don't know, probably about a half mile from the stadium. You can take the people mover? I could, I, no, well, you can, but I'm not going to do that on a game day. I'm gotcha. just going to walk over. Uh, and you have to walk through the tailgating lots to get there to, to where the press box is from this particular dorm. So I'm walking through the parking lots, and people are just offering you beers and shots, you know, every step of the way. And, you know, it's just, it's just a great great atmosphere but anyway i'm coming back from the press box now this is where the story gets good and there are still people out there this is three hours after a game still people out there uh and they they just finished playing against lsu uh, they play so obviously the atmosphere was a little more a little more crazy a little more drunker a little, little bit more drunk did they win no they did not win oh so oh, you gotta add that into yeah. the mix now but uh a guy sees me walking a guy who's having a big tailgate party sees me walking back he's just hammered uh, you know, just just beyond, uh, beyond, but but very nice, very nice. Uh, approaches me, goes, oh yeah, yeah, you got the media badge. I was like, yes. I was like, I'm just going back to my dorm. No student media, I'm not important, you know. And he's like, oh, you want a Bayou burger? I figured we'd we'd cook some of those uh, since LSU beat us, uh, you know, beat West Virginia. And I was like, oh, all right, I'll take one, whatever. Ended up having a nice Bayou burger on the way back, thanks to a very drunk human. What's being. a Bayou burger? It's just a burger with Cajun seasoning. Okay, oh, so it wasn't like you were eating gator or nothing. No, no, no. Just... I like this a lot better. We don't have notes in front of us. Yeah, I, yeah. I, is there, a, is there a, a conference game that, you know, that you see as a possible one JM you could really lose? I mean, anything's possible in the CA, and I know that sounds cliche, but it, it I mean, really, did you expect New Hampshire to beat them last no, year? Exactly. No, exactly. Say, it can uh, happen, yeah. So, I mean, is there one on there that you look at it, and you're just like, oh, that, 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 might, be the, that might be it? I think maybe, you got to think Elon's going to be ready to go. Is that just the, is that a little bit of the revenge, a little bit of the inside knowledge? A little bit, of, bo- that- little bit of both. Elon will be ready to go. I, I don't know if Jamie will lose that one, because they should be pretty fired up for their coach, but I would Put that as a game to watch for sure, but that that three week stretch there where they go to Chattanooga and non to finish non conference play to Elon. So you're talking about Chattanooga, Tennessee, Elon, North Carolina, and then next week they got to go to Stony Brook. That's a lot of on Long Island. That's a lot of travel in three weeks. And I know this team's been been through long stretches like that before, but you still think there's there's some human. I don't know. There's a there's an area there where just human nature you, you can blow one of the you can lose one of those games just from being tired, I don't know losing focus looking ahead to the to the home game that's on the other side of those three three straight weeks on the road. I, so I for me I kind of just look at that stretch and say man maybe there's one there where it just doesn't all come together. And is that one of those stretches like you get in baseball where 
you know, if they come out of that thing three and zero, then it's like, oh goodness gracious. Yeah, yeah. If, if they get out of that thing three and zero, I think they're going to keep steamrolling all the way to the national title. If they come out two and one, it's I don't think it's any reason to sweat. Uh, I think they still have a great shot to, to finish up in Frisco, but. Uh, you know, I, I think this team is going to be very, very good. But if I had to look at kind of a, a set of games where I'm like, eh, you know, I, that might not go well. I mean, Chattanooga is a decent program. I know they're down last year, but, you know, they're not too far removed from being a playoff team. Elon is, is out for revenge, I would imagine, at least a little bit. Players, human nature there. And then going to going to Stony Brook, a place JMU hasn't been in a while. I think five years since they went to Stony Brook. It's been a, it's been it's, a good while. Uh, yeah, I, I think five years. Uh, but, uh I know Chuck Priori will be ready. Chuck Priori will have that Stony Brook team ready. Uh, they've given Jamie tough games in the past couple of years, once in the playoffs and then once last year in the regular season. So uh, I would kind of circle those three games. Is, is just be aware. That's not that's not a nice stretch there. That's not that's not that's, I mean, not that's, something you sign up for. That's a lot. That's that's a lot of haul. Uh, I, I I'm not sure. I'll need to do research on this or a quick not much research. Quick check is. That might be JMU's first trip back to Chattanooga since the their the, first their national, national championship. Tri- they won that one. Two thousand four, yeah. 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 So yeah, then they I guess moved the game to Frisco when five, ten years later, yeah. I'm trying to think. Ooh, in the shadow of Lookout Mountain. Go see Ruby Falls when you're down there, Greg. Okay. I, I will. I'll take I'll take your advice. It's a straight trek down eighty one. I was looking at a map a little uh, about a week, gotta, week and a half ago. You gotta grab forty at some point. Forty don't at some you? point? Okay. Yeah. But it, it looks like a pretty straight no, shot 40. on an interstate. Yeah, because eighty one ends at forty. Yeah, there's something. Outside Knoxville you split, like one way takes you to Asheville and, and Wilmington and the gotcha. other way takes you to to Chattanooga. I don't think it's 40, though. You know, 40 is the second longest interstate in the country. What's the longest? 64? 70? No, I don't know. I don't know. Because I, I, you know, about a month ago when I was on that baseball trip, we drove on uh, I-64 or I-70 in Kansas. Okay. I can't remember. I think it was I-70. Yeah, I-40 goes all the way from Wilmington, where I was vacationing mm-hmm. last week, uh, yeah. to... Uh, Bakersfield? Oh, California? wow. Yeah. That's... And, and allegedly there's signs at both of the terminals. Like one says in outside uh, in Bakersfield, and I could have the town wrong, Baker or something. Yeah. It says like one of the signs says Wilmington, 2,100 and whatever miles. And it says the same thing in Wilmington, but they, they, don't, they don't replace them anymore because they're getting stolen. Oh. This is things you learn when the wife's driving. you got nothing better to do than look at your phone and figure out what the heck's going on. Yeah, that's smart. Yeah, because the, the one rest stop we stopped at in Kansas said you're at the middle point of the interstate uh, between Washington and I think San Francisco. Okay. I think Washington, D.C. and San Francisco. I'm trying to think what that road was. I could be wrong. Because when I was on the, we're on the Southwest, uh, we're on the California Zephyr last vacation. We followed a road like the whole way. And I think it was like, like uh, through Colorado, up the mountains and the Rockies. I think you might be I-70 or, I think you're right. I'm just trying to figure it out. I, I think I have a picture of it on my phone, maybe. I'm trying to figure it out. Let's see. I'm sure the people are just following along now. As they should be. Sports <laughs> getting, a little, getting a little off track Well, here. no, but this is, this is, this is interesting stuff. I do not have a picture of it on my phone. Yeah, and I don't, and it's enough dead space, I think, uh, in this. Yeah. Uh, oh, wait, wait. No, I found it. I found it. It is 70. It is 70, yeah. yeah. And it is the one that takes you through Kansas, yeah. Denver, over the mountains, all the way to, yeah, all the way to San Francisco. It takes you over Donner's Gap. Wow. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. That's, yeah. Don't uh, order the food up there. No? No. Okay. Uh, it's a Donner's Gap joke. Uh, I, 
I don't know. Well, I mean, it's probably a little tasteless, but anyway, we'll Sorry. let it fly. Greg, uh, uh, I look forward to following you uh, on Twitter next week, as should all the rest of you JMU football fans. Well, all season, really, but would you would you back up there at the, the CA Media Day? And as always, safe travels on that drive up there. Thank you. And get so, a crab cake. That, thank you, Jim. Appreciate it. I, I will. I'll, bring, I'll get a crab cake, maybe bring back some frozen ones for you. We'll see. Awesome. <laughs> we'll see. Uh, we're going to switch gears right now, bring in Shane Metlin, uh, who's joining the podcast now. Uh, talk a little basketball. There's a couple interesting stories Shane had in last week's paper, and that's kind of where we'll start here with Shane. He uh, he wrote about some of the things going on in the CAA and, and really with all college basketball because uh, high major programs are recruiting mid-major players while those mid-major players are not yet in the transfer portal, and that's a big, big no-no. So bringing in Shane now to talk talk and discuss this issue. Shane, what is going on uh, with, with some of these issues in college basketball? Yeah, um, you've seen just in general, the conference got hit really hard by transfers this season. Um, you know, part of that was some coaching changes. Part of that was teams with good talent and players wanted to see what other options were available for them if they could play at a higher level. Um, but you know, more recently, since that, you know, initial period that comes up after the conference tournaments, the NCAA tournaments, and things end, that's when you kind of expect to see a lot of people moving around, moving on, figuring out what their next step is. A little different when you see a player just bolt a program in late June, which happened to Delaware here recently. Uh, it's Yul Horton, a... You, Freshman guard who had a really good debut season in the CAA was, you know, on the all-rookie team, averaged about 13 points a game, was, you know, probably going to be one of the better players in this conference next year and certainly the next few years if he stuck around. Um, it uh, winds up saying he's going to transfer, and Delaware's coach, uh, Martin Inglesby, was fairly open talking to me just about that you know, bigger schools, bigger conference schools came in and started recruiting his player while he was under uh, uh, on scholarship, hadn't put his name into the transfer portal yet. I think most people feel like that recruitment is what convinced him to put his name in the transfer portal, ended up narrowing it down to um, two schools, Arkansas and Pitt. He um, had several, you know, major conference schools, especially we we you mentioned Power Five before. I think you can in basketball you can add you the can big include the Big East, yeah, and even you know the American like probably right. top few yeah. programs in that, and you know, well maybe once UConn leaves, you can take them out. <laughs> yeah, yeah <laughs> that, that's yeah, another I, subject. I yeah, don't want to get to that. Uh, uh, we yeah, don't need to but, get to that. No, the top half of the American kind of plays at that kind of budget and at that kind of level. Um, so yeah, it's a different situation for basketball. But you know, those schools, those type of schools, were coming in to talk to him. He ends up putting his name in a portal. Looked like, you know, when we sat down to record this, it looked like he was going to pick Pitt. Um, and, you know, frankly, Delaware coaching staff's not very happy with the way it went down. Um, you look at JMU had a similar situation a while back with Matt Lewis, who wound up staying. But by whatever means, I never found out precisely how, you know, Matt Lewis got word that, some programs in the Big Ten or the ACC were interested in him transferring, but word did get to him. He did tell me specifically that no one contacted him illegally, 
but he knew something happened. Yeah. Um, there's always somebody that knows somebody that can yeah. get, get the message out. Yeah. And that's so that's what the CAA is dealing with right now that, you know, this is still happening, even with this being something that the transfer portal was kind of supposed to stop that, you know, players didn't have to go through all the rigmarole of trying to get, you know, their transfer approved by the school they're at, you know, maybe having a list of schools they couldn't go to uh, that they were restricted from or would have to sit out extra time if they went somewhere like that. And it has, you know, freed that up for the players a little bit. But, you know, another aspect of it was supposed to be like, okay, here is the list of players who are interested in transferring. Go go talk to them. Don't recruit them. But don't be tampering with, players who haven't shown that interest yet. And that seems to be something that's still happening to these mid-major programs and was a topic of conversation when the league had their coaches meetings and things here this summer. Yeah, no, that's, re- that's really interesting because in theory, if a player is happy at the school they're at, that coach who may be interested in, in him at another institution shouldn't be able to get the word out that, you know, if, if you want to come here, there, there's a spot for you. Now, what is the CAA doing to try to combat that issue specifically beyond beyond the scope of what we'll get to in a little bit and, and trying to sell players on the league. What is what is the league doing to make sure this this kind of stops at the higher level and, and ways to kind of prevent it? I think that's that's the big question. That's what they want to figure out what they can do. I know uh, Jamie coach Lewis Rowe, you know, talked to me a little bit and he said he'd like to see all the coaches get together again, maybe get together with other mid-major coaches, have like kind of a mid-major summit or something almost and like talk it through and see who has ideas, uh, see what maybe rule changes could be proposed. I think, you know, the rules are out there. Like you can't go talking to a player uh, who's, you know, not in the transfer portal. But, you know, like you said, there are ways around that. You can talk to their AAU coaches. You can just you know, put the word out on the street, however you want to do it, and it gets to them. But it's not so much maybe that the rules have to be changed, but the actual enforcement has to begin the, with this kind of thing if anything's ever going to change, I would think. The Transfer Portal Police, the TPP. <laughs> yeah. And, you know... No, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what how the best way to do it is because you, you have, all, again, this comes back to the NCAA, maybe you need something more bas- basketball-specific at a national level to address some of the issues that, that college basketball has with its transfers. I don't know if you need a basketball commissioner, somebody to look over basketball specifically, uh, but maybe if that happens, maybe you can start getting the word out to these these power conference schools that, you know, you, you can't do this. You can't do this. Wait wait until the kid puts their name in the transfer portal. Yeah, and I, I mentioned something kind of half tongue-in-cheek when we were in here another time about, you know, having, like, the NBA has their free agent period begin. But, you know, part of what happens here is that the whole calendar has gotten completely jumbled as rules change across the board. you got different rules for the NBA draft than there used to be. You have different rules for the recruiting calendar. Well, and they keep changing, too. Yeah. The, The rules keep changing. And sometimes they don't go together, even though they're trying to work it out so... Everybody has their opportunities, and you know, you want a player who 
doesn't know where he stands in the NBA draft to be able to come back to school. Come back to school. Yeah, you want that to be able to happen, but then at the same time, you have that where they're in the NBA draft until late spring, don't know if they're coming back or not. And then these Power 5 schools are scrambling, trying to fill spots that they didn't know were going to be available. They turn to, uh, oh, that kid at Delaware can play. He could play at our level. Let's see what can happen there. And it's just kind of a trickle-down effect, the dominoes tipping, where, you know, maybe unintended consequences of what was meant to be a positive rule and give players more freedom, maybe the calendars have to be aligned a little bit more um, that, you know, maybe the transfer period begins at a certain point and ends maybe at a certain point after the draft deadline for the draft passes, things like that. I mean, things have to be kind of coordinated a little bit better, I would think, for this to really work. Yeah, I think that's a, that's a good way to look at and something I'm sure uh, the CA basketball coaches have thought of uh, because if, if you if you you can't not you can't I guess eliminate that opportunity for NBA hopefuls to, to come back to school. There's a reason why they go through the combine and stuff and and playing those combine type games uh, to see if they're they're good enough to be drafted. You don't want to deny them a shot of coming back to college if they're not good enough for the NBA. So and it helps the college game too when they come back. So you don't want to take that away. So I guess what you'd have to do then, as you said, is push that push a transfer period back, which would kind of go along the lines of that free agent frenzy type deal, uh, if you'd have it that way. But I don't know if that's is that feasible. You think Can the NCA do something about that? Is that is that reasonable to think that it could actually happen? You know, it <laughs> reasonable in the NCA. Sometimes you wonder how well those two words go together, just because how how Ever they're able to make things work. It seems like, like we were just saying, they come up with one rule that makes some sense, but don't think about how it the consequences. It, yeah, and how it fits with another rule that's been made. Um, I think coaches are generally kind of skeptical of any of these changes that make managing their rosters a little bit more difficult. But personally, philosophically, I feel like anything that gives the players a little bit more freedom is good in general because you know it's. We don't have to get into the entire debate here, but it's, you know, unpaid labor for institutions that are making a ton of money and they come to a school and their coach can get fired, their coach, their assistant coach that recruited them can go to another job. Lots of things can happen. They can change majors and decide they want to, like, you know, be at a different school. That maybe doesn't happen all the time with high-level players, but there are players that that could be a factor. There's lots of things. Do they need to change the draft rules so that the one-and-done is eliminated and then players have to stay longer in college you think they have to do something like that so that you know not every single player is putting their any single player who may have a shot at the nba a slim chance at the nba is testing the waters yeah i mean i could certainly see that the problem with that then is that the nba has to change their rules about how these things work and then getting multiple institutions to work together and everything can be difficult. But I I personally think, you know, if you saw something similar to college baseball where go pro out of high school if you want, if you come to college, you're draft eligible again in two or three two, years. Two, two, however, three years. Yep. Whatever you decide works for basketball, three years might be excessive considering the right. nature of the sport where there are, you know, players who are more ready at 18, 19 years old. But, yeah, Getting all that situated 
would help the situation more just because, like you said, you recruit. North Carolina recruits a freshman that they think is pretty good. Maybe they're surprised when he's entered the draft a year later. Delaware recruits a freshman they think is pretty good, and then they're surprised when two weeks in the summer school, he's going to a different school. And it's not the same thing, but it's similar in how it affects the programs, and it's, they're related because... Yeah, but in the past, if, if North Carolina recruits that top 25 commit, top 25 prospect, and lands them, they know there's a chance he's a one-and-done. I think mm-hmm. they at least have that in the back of their mind, he's a one-and-done. When Delaware recruits an off-the-radar prospect that fits at the mid-major level, they don't expect him to be recruited by other coaches at other schools and, and for, for a better opportunity in the college basketball world. That's where the shock is, I think, for at least these CAA basketball programs. Yeah, and, you know, it's something we kind of hinted at a little bit before, but, you know, I think one of the major talking points, and I wrote a little bit about this for the CAA coaches at this point, is, hey, look, we've got three guys who are going to be NBA rookies this year. You can achieve your goals playing in this conference, playing at our school. You don't have to go to Pitt. How many guys at Pitt have drafted this year? <laughs> they had a guy who transferred out of Pitt who got drafted in the first round this year. But, you, you know, if you're a CAA coach, this is what you're telling these kids. You have to sell them on something to, yeah. to, stay, in the, to stay in the league. And you're talking about three, three, three players who were, you know, in their summer league seasons right now. Two were drafted, right, and one was yeah. a free agent? Yeah, and, uh, you know... Devontae Kaycock was a you know undrafted free agent who's had a good summer. He signed a contract. You know, everybody's saying he signed a contract with the Lakers. He he signed a deal. He's going to be in training camp. There's a really good chance he could get one of those spots. That they've changed the nature of NBA contracts a lot in the last couple of years. There's a thing called a two way contract now. There's a good chance he could be that where he kind of bounces between the NBA and, and the G League. And the G League. Um, he's guaranteed to make a living. That way, he's guaranteed to play, or not play, but be on the roster for a certain number of NBA games, if that's how he ends up getting picked up. Getting an invite to training camp is generally kind of a precursor to that, um, especially for an undrafted guy. Um, so there's a good chance that he's going to be able, in a few months, to be able to say, I am an NBA basketball player. Um, same with Drell Brantley and um, Justin Wright Foreman, who were second-round draft picks and after trades and everything, both wound up in Utah. Um, they both, when they've been healthy, have had good summer leagues. I wouldn't be surprised to see them, you know, similar situations where, I don't know if they'll be on rosters for their entire season as rookies, but with the way the G League works now, I would think those are guys who are, you know, going to be able to say they're NBA players here later this year. Um, so that's good for the conference. That's, you know, a selling point for the conference. And you look at that, and there's some guys coming up who may be in similar situations in the next year or two that they have talents that transfer to the next level. Um, so we'll see what happens there, if that's something that can help these coaches maybe convince players that the grass isn't always greener somewhere else. Yeah, that, and I guess if you can get a team to make a run in the NCAA tournament, right? I think that the two would go hand-in-hand hand nicely together. Uh, but obviously, when you, when you get... All these players at the high school level, regardless if they're the top-ranked prospect or the you know, 305th-ranked prospect, they all think they can go to the NBA. Uh, just like all the football kids think they all can go to the NFL. They all have that dream, I think, deep down. And if you can present them with that in front of them, I think is, is definitely a positive for the league and something 
they should continue to hammer home and promote as one of the good things in the league. Do you think, I, I don't know if this at all has anything, has has a gives you a better feel, but the league moving its tournament a little bit further north, do you think that helps with players at all, or do you think players do not care about that at all? That's more of a fan logistical conference thing uh, that the league is going to care about more than its players. I don't know if it's something that the players necessarily think, oh, good, the tournament's in D.C. this year. But will they enjoy playing in a tournament where, you know, a 5,000-seat arena is close to full and it's sort of like a nice atmosphere, there's a lot of drivability for fans and alumni, more schools in D.C., or you can take a train down from Boston or wherever to get to D.C. for that, as opposed to a long flight down to Charleston. Um, they might, you know, indirectly, and they might think, oh, this is great. This is a much more fun tournament to play in this year than being out in Charleston. Everybody likes going to Charleston, you know. Well, yeah. One of the greatest cities in the country. But you go down there and you're, you know, there's a couple thousand fans in a 10,000-seat uh, arena, you know, especially if Charleston's not playing in a game. How much fun is that, you know? Right, it just it, it's inconvenient for the top half of the league, especially uh, geography yeah. wise, the top half of the league uh, to go down to Charleston. So now, interesting times for CA basketball and stuff they have to figure out. Do you think there is a you know a, a league wide initiative or something to get the word out about this going forward, or do you think it's kind of just going to be one of those things they talk about behind closed doors uh, and, and and try to push it that way and do it do it amongst themselves? I would imagine it's sort of a behind-closed-doors thing, but, I mean, I think, you know, it's not something they want to sit on their hands and not talk about because, you know, I mean, oh, let's be honest. It's, college basketball is a small circle of, you know, it's it's similar to, you know, football. We're, we're, yeah, football, and we're in journalism, like, yeah, right. you know. It's a small circle, you know, maybe somebody across the country doesn't know you personally, but they know who you are, and people... They know somebody who knows you. Yeah. You're going to be looking for another job in another few years, more than likely, like if you're in coaching. Right. Um, So there's a little bit of a tendency to not want to rock the boat too much or throw people under the bus too much, but at the same time... If you want to be successful, you can't let people walk all over you. So there, you know, there's a little bit of a balance there. You know, people talk tactfully about how they want to address this, but you know, when you lose one of your best players, right? The Delaware coach has reason to, to gripe and be upset. Unexpectedly, like like he told me, he's like, you know, you just don't think when a kid comes back and enrolls in summer school, has been in class for two weeks, has been working out with us. And then comes to me, like, something has changed. And I've been with him every day. I don't know what has changed other than somebody getting in his ear at that point. And that's, you know, I think, like he said, his exact words were, that's a tough pill to swallow. And you have to agree with him on that. It's it's a completely different situation where I think some people want to lump Ithiel Horton going to pit in with some of the other transfers in this league. Like, you know, you see... Um, you know, kid from William and Mary going to Northwestern. They just or, had that coaching. UNC. Yeah, but right. like I, in my conversation with Lewis Rowe, that's, I, my personal input to that was like, yeah, it's a different situation when it's March, your coach just got fired. 
you say, okay, I'm going to put my name in the transfer portal and see what's there for me. And reassess. See if, yeah. like, I can play in the ACC because I feel like I can play in the ACC. We'll see what those coaches have to say about it. That's a different situation than you, you think you got your roster set in late June and then all of a sudden one of your best players is gone. Right. Some, some of these teams, I mean, you talk about the time of year that it is. Late June, uh, kind of mid-July where we are now. Like, these teams, some of them who have these international trips – you know, they've started practices. They've started team workouts. Most of these teams are working out anyway. But, you know, they've started preparing seriously for the season. When you lose a player, I'm sure, I'm sure it's 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 just it's very tough. Yeah, and most of the most of the recruits for 2019 Gone. are on a campus somewhere right now. They, they're um, enrolled. Yeah, yeah, I mean. And then the transfers, uh, the ones that the ones that have already left have, have found a new destination. Yeah, what, what are you going to do? You're going to call up? another school and try to raise somebody else like you're right. not going to do that at I some mean, point the trickle the trickle down effect yeah, what I mean, the C is the CAA going to be calling MEAC schools for I, you know I, mean, I don't think Martin Inglesby is going to do that just because like he's been on that end of it but you know college basketball in some ways it's kind of the wild west when it uh, you know what you can always find there, the there are kind of like <laughs> there's a written NCAA rule book and then there's the stuff that's unwritten rules that really ticks coaches off. And, like, it's it's kind of interesting. Like, there are coaches who would be less upset about losing a player because somebody outbid them, basically, to pay them yeah. than if somebody was kind of being underhanded about the way they go about recruiting or, like, behind your back or, um, you know, if they're talking bad about you behind their back. That to a lot of coaches is a bigger offense, even if it's not actually against the NCAA rules. That's the kind of stuff that will get you kind of like blackballed. And, In the industry. Yeah. Interesting. No, it's uh, it's fascinating and, and certainly a storyline going into this CA season because you're going to have lots of new faces in the league. Uh, whether they're transfers, you'll have one team, at least in JMU, that has a good core. That has most of its players back and avoided, uh, eluded some of those those poachers uh, trying, trying, to, trying to take the players. Uh, from JMU, and it was something you wrote about in your story a little bit in regard to Matt Lewis. Yeah, uh, that so. might end up being kind of the story of JMU that they avoided this because right. I think I think it is. That's that's a credit. That's almost as big of a win as as getting a recruit in, in a high school prospect is keeping the kids you have. Yeah, and you know we we talked about Matt Lewis because that was something that came up in the off season. But even back in February, when people were kind of talking about Lewis Rose's job status. Because they, you know, lost a few games. He he came right out and said in a press conference that some coaches at other schools were calling him saying, you know, like, hey, if he get fired, what do you think this kid's gonna do? Like, would he be interested in coming here? Would you be interested in coming here and bringing him? Like, this stuff is going on year round, and the fact that you know JMU kind of avoided the dodge that bullet on multiple cases may end up being the story of this team by next. March. Do you think it's one of the reasons Lewis Rowe kept his job? Because he did it similarly last year. I know the rules are different. There was no transfer portal last year, but he did it in a, in a year where a lot of CAA programs lost good players. Yeah, and I mean, I, I think so. I think the fact that he was able and they expected him to be able to keep this core group of players together probably certainly made it a lot easier for Jeff Bourne to make that decision that we're going to stick with him. And it's also, you know, oh, We'll be frank. Lewis Rowe is a good basketball coach, but his resume when he got this job was 
underwhelming. I mean, we'll be honest. He was an assistant of Bowling Green, and I think a lot of JMU fans probably thought he was getting a courtesy interview at the time, but similar to the way he does when he gets a player on campus for a visit and seals the deal. Finishes the job. When he gets a job interview, like, he impresses people. Yeah. And um, so he got the job here, and he's Jeff Bourne's guy. Jeff Bourne kind of went out on a limb to hire a guy who had no head coaching experience, who wasn't, you know, oh, let's get a really high-rising assistant at a, you know, high-major established program. That wasn't the case when he was hired. He's he's Jeff Bourne's guy who went out on a limb to hire an alum, somebody that people really like. But, you know, he's sticking with him even though the record hasn't been quite what people had hoped maybe for the first few years because he got this core group together. And I think I think when the hire was made, that was somewhat the understanding that, okay, we're going to take the time to do this and build it, and it may be frustrating at times. But this is going to be the year where you kind of have to see that like, if it okay, comes to fruition. Yeah, you got yeah. these juniors that you recruited that were kind of your first real recruiting class mm-hmm. here, and they played a lot of basketball here at this point. So you're going to kind of have to see the improvement this year. But that, like, you know, kind of we've kind of gotten off track a little bit here. But I'd say so. But yeah, but it's okay. <laughs> but it's yeah, totally but um, yeah, that's a good reason why he is still in this position is because he's kept that core group together and, you know, avoided that transfer bullet. And it's because those guys really like him and they've, some of them had connections with him for a long time, even before he was the coach at JMU. Yeah. I, it's, it's fascinating nonetheless, but I'm sure they'll, they'll get going. Uh, you know, late October, we'll, we'll start diving in a little deeper to what's going on with that James Madison team. Somebody who won't have to worry about the hot seat at all is Sean O'Regan. He just got a new contract extension uh, last week, last Wednesday specifically, uh, to keep him at JMU through the 2022-23 season. What was your reaction? Surprised at all? JMU still doesn't have that NCAA tournament berth under O'Regan. How how did you kind of see it when you you saw the news that O'Regan was extended? Yeah, I mean, it, it makes sense. I mean, he's the guy for this program right now. He... They didn't make the NCAA tournament this year. It was kind of a a lot of unlucky breaks to kind of get to that point. That was an NCAA tournament caliber team. Um, But you play in a conference like the CAA, you're running that risk that if you have something go wrong in that wrong weekend of the conference tournament, that's what's going to happen. But, you know, the way he recruits, um, he's recruiting players that, you know, we talk about recruiting at the CAA level on the men's side. He's recruiting against, you know, some of those conferences that we talked about that come into Reggie. Like, right. You know, people, teams in the AAC, the Big East, the Atlantic 10, that's, you know. Those upper-level mid-major. Up from yeah. a mid-major. Yeah. Even, you know, some Power 5 kids. Um, they're entertaining offers from JMU and sometimes signing. You know, you got a girl like Kiki Jefferson coming in that's going to be a freshman who I think – has a good chance to really contribute here. So you look at the way he's recruiting, you look at the way he's winning at the regular season um, consistently, that, you know, it makes a lot of sense to extend his contract, keep him around, um, not have him out looking for other jobs. Like, you know, That was going to be my other question. Was, was this something, James, you needed to do to keep O'Regan in Harrisonburg or at least 
keep him in Harrisonburg for the near future? I I don't necessarily think so. I mean, you got to show your appreciation for your coaches. You got to keep your contracts extended. You got to keep that, you know, window that okay, so he can go into a player's house and say, "My contract lasts." Well, for recruiting purposes, here. yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't think he's actively out looking for other jobs. Uh, he's a JMU alum. He's you know got extended family in this region. He, he you know he's a New Englander by birth and grew but up. He helped, there, but he helped kind of make the program what yeah, it is yeah, too. He's part been of here Kenny. for a long yeah, time. Yeah, yeah his, his family likes it here, wants to be here. So it would take like a really really good job, I think, to lure him away at this point. I know he told me kind of. I thought like somewhat joking at the time. Told me, well, I asked him, you know if I needed to keep my eyes open for any other jobs coming at it. And he's like, nah, I don't think so. I'm not looking to leave here. It's like, I really like the Boston Celtics. You know, if they offer me a job. And, yeah. <laughs> you never know. You never know. <clears throat> yeah, I didn't think a whole lot of that at the time. I thought it was kind of a joke. But then a couple weeks later, the Cavaliers hired uh, Lindsey Gottlieb from Cal as a uh, assistant. And when you look at their records, you know, maybe Sean's been a, even a little more consistently uh, Successful. Good. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you never know when there's – you know, 15 assistants on an NBA staff. It just seems like you never know what kind of opportunities might come about. But, you know, I don't think he's looking for another job. I think everybody's really happy with where the women's basketball program is at this point, other than they want to get back to the NCAA tournament. But I don't think anybody feels like, you know, there's a lot to blame to go around for not making the NCAA tournament this year other than injuries and right. things like that. Yeah, they were the most dominant team in the CAA, 17-1 and regular season champions. Uh, but a good a good, good start to the year for Sean O'Regan, new contract extension, a trip to Europe on the horizon, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's fun. not bad. Yeah, you know, go spend some time in Amsterdam and Paris and all that and uh, and know your job is secure. You can't you right. feel pretty good to it. Good going there. Yeah, no doubt. So, Shane, good stuff. Uh, I'm sure you'll be working on plenty of basketball stuff as this summer continues and as that women's basketball team inches closer to that trip uh, over the Atlantic Ocean and into Europe. Uh, so I'm sure you'll be all over it. You can follow Shane, uh, dnronline.com, or in the paper, or you can find all the stuff on jamesmadison.rivals.com. Shane, uh, good stuff. We'll do it again next week. Uh, big thanks to Jim and Danny Grog, the Broadway football coach, uh, for stopping by and talking Gobblers football with us. Uh, so until next week, I'm Greg Medea saying thanks for tuning in.